This Washington Post Live podcast is presented by AT&T Business, keeping your business connected today and building it for tomorrow with 5G on America's best network. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. White House Senior Counselor Kellyanne Conway joined the Washington Post to discuss the latest efforts to combat the coronavirus, the 2020 Republican Party platform, and what we can expect from a second Trump term. Good afternoon and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Frances Steed Sellers, a senior writer at the Washington Post. My guest this afternoon is Kellyanne Conway, a senior counselor to the president. She was one of his senior campaign managers in 2016 and a speaker at last night's Republican convention. Welcome, Kellyanne. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Frances. I appreciate it. Well, we're pleased to have you. So let's start with the big picture. You're an expert on voters. How can President Trump bring more people into the tent? He's been doing that by enacting policies and making the tough uh, choices and tackling the complex problems that really affect all Americans. When you recalibrate a trade deal and put it into better balance for American workers and American manufacturing and America herself, that lifts many different economic boats. So if you look at the the four or five major trade deals, he's been able to uh, complete one with South Korea, obviously, China. Mexico and and certainly Canada and the USMCA, the old NAFTA, much better now. And of course, even one with Japan, you're talking about dairy farmers, meat producers, auto manufacturers, many different industries that were flat on their backs. And we were really shipping wealth and jobs overseas for quite a few years and this helped. So that helps many people. Also, when the president uh, created a, a booming economy, he, you saw the historic numbers of unemployment. Everybody knows the numbers. He'll talk about them tonight. But the fact is that that economy, only the person who created that economy can reduce that economy, and he's working on that. Um, also, you know, when the president talks about school choice and education freedom and opportunity scholarships, the way the vice president talked last night and the number of us continue to fight for, that is an area that is in stark contrast to the other side, where you've had the last two Democratic presidents be against DC Opportunity Scholarships, which help communities of color most of all, help these kids have a better chance, just a different choice for their parents to put them in a school that serves their needs better. Uh, They should not be be restricted by their zip code or their socioeconomic status to help decide where they can go to school. And so when this president says education freedom, let the money follow the child, that is very beneficial as well. I think, Francis, uh, having the NATO countries commit to over $130 billion additional for the, providing for the common defense through NATO is a huge achievement that only this president could have done. And of course, uh, over $400 billion of a commitment going into the future. So there are many ways he's done that. I also think that um, the attacks and the invective that we heard in the D- Democratic National Convention have been really minimized. They've been in a much lower level, lower volume in this Republican National Convention. Where we have been showing people the Maine lobsterman, the logger from the Midwest, uh, certainly the dairy farmer from Wisconsin, the folks who have been pardoned uh, by Donald Trump or who, frankly, have uh, stopped languishing in prison long after they paid their debt to society or languishing on drugs uh, long after they first sought help. So it, it's been it's been a president who's trying to work for all people. And I think in 47 months, he's been able to show what he can do Uh, much more than Joe Biden in 47 years. We were hit by a a once-in-a-century global pandemic, a dual medical and financial crisis. And I can tell you that beginning in February, uh, we were working around the clock in the White House on that seven days a week, including the president. And uh, surging supplies, cutting off uh, travel from China, and then Europe 
on March 11th, a very big deal. There's no evidence that other leaders would have done that. In fact, uh, the other guy who wants to be the president said it was xenophobic. So So um, even nonpartisan experts said that helped save many lives. And now just finally, we're on the fast track, Operation Warp Speed, to develop therapeutics and indeed six different vaccines, Francis, many of which are in the final clinical trials phases because we're trying to mitigate the damage of COVID-19 on the way to eradicating it through a vaccine. And the path now, though, talking about the convention, Tuesday night had a very big focus on women. Is is the path through women, uh, the suburbs? Where do you see his path taking him now? Well, women live everywhere, and they care about 100% of the issues. We are 53% of the electorate. We care about 100% of the issues. And the one phrase that I've never really understood and that I reject out of hand is, quote, women's issues. You know, in 30 years of doing this, I've never heard the phrase men's men's issues. And the reason you don't hear about men's issues is the idea is that men can handle all the issues. They can talk about war and foreign policy and national security. They can talk about trade deals and the G7 summit, and they can discuss energy policy internationally, but maybe women should just handle the healthcare and social security and abortion and kids stuff. And that's pretty insulting to women. And I think that's why uh, in large part you don't hear at this convention, what I heard in all the past conventions from the Democrats, which is a woman's right to choose, abortion, abortion, women's right to choose. It was conspicuous by its absence last week, even though they've already been endorsed by Planned Parenthood. And I think part of that is our culture has shifted. People are very uncomfortable with the Democratic Party platform, including many women, very uncomfortable with the Democratic Party platform that is so rigid and unforgiving that it basically says abortion anyone, anytime, anywhere, no restrictions, no regulations, even though we have people surviving outside of the womb at 24, 25 weeks and going on to have a healthy life. We have uh, people really wrestling with the science and the medicine that they see in front of them and recognizing that abortion, the seventh, eighth, ninth month, is not really where they are, even though they call themselves pro-choice. So that's a And Look, for women, um, women seeing is the first step toward believing. This is a president who has elevated women in business and in government for decades. But beyond that, his policies have helped women. I call him the healthcare president because he took action on pre-existing conditions recently, has committed that his healthcare plan will cover it. And I've seen the, the beginnings of that, actually in the middle of that, and it will. Uh, he also has reformed the way seniors pay for insulin, $35 maximum copay. His surprise medical billing and price transparency moves really benefit uh, so many women. Women are the healthcare consumers of the household. We control roughly two out of every three healthcare yeah, dollars yeah. in this country. We're the healthcare you. consumers and the healthcare providers. So I think that's attractive to women. Let me ask you about your speech last night. You talked about how President Trump, and you've referred to it just now, how he's empowered women. And that goes back. I can think of many business people he's ta- who've talked about his personal acts of kindness that they've remembered. How does that relate to his, uh, his actions as a president? Well, it relates because, you know, with the gravity and responsibility of that job and even at a staff level must come certain humility. And the humility comes in understanding, as I said last night, that it's so easy in America today, Francis, to focus on those who have so much more than us. But our responsibility is to focus on those who have far less than us. And he has done that time and again, uh, really giving people a hand up and a second chance. Uh, and I, th- I believe that him taking a chance on different people and feel, feeling comfortable with uh, female leadership, with female advice, is it's very refreshing, particularly in the Republican Party, but it's refreshing for the country to know that you have a president uh, for whom that's just a a, a regular workday. I also think that it means he takes the counsel of people whose experiences 
are much more relatable to the to the population that he's serving. This is the president who, as a candidate, promised to help the forgotten man, forgotten woman, and I would add forgotten child, and has made very good on that promise. You know, Donald Trump is an outsider. He's the first president in American history to have ni neither uh, former political or nor military experience. And he really fit the bill of what Americans are telling pollsters for a very long time, Francis, which is, I want somebody who has a ton of experience who's never held political office. And it's like, oh, who will that be? How are we going to find that person? It turns out they wanted somebody who had business experience, who came to Washington owing nobody anything, who wasn't part of not just the swamp, as they call it, but really a system that had excluded most Americans, where they feel like they have their nose pressed up against the glass looking in saying, when is my turn? Where's my opportunity? Where's my peace and prosperity? And he really feels very committed to the people who relied upon them. I know people derisively call them the base and occasionally deplorables and redeemables, but that irredeemables, but that means they're missing, they're missing the zeitgeist that Donald Trump has created and tapped into in that you have people who otherwise never voted before and never voted Republican before. The coal miners, those in, in the fracking industry, obviously people who are in manufacturing, people who uh, appreciate these trade deals, people who appreciate criminal justice reform, the drug crisis strides. And even though he's talking to direct stakeholders as voters, we also are always looking at the, the concentric circles of the stakeholder and the shareholders. I say that you could be somebody who feels your issues are, are well taken care of, but you're really concerned for the family across the street or the nephew you have who's tr trying to start his business or the goddaughter you have who doesn't understand how she's going to grapple with this virtual learning now and what that really means. And so uh, he, we look at people, he's tried to be the president for all Americans and uh, the volume and velocity with which he works is head spinning. And I think his speech tonight, I know his speech tonight is going to lay out the progress report and also have the vision piece for the future. Let me ask you quickly about a group I know you care very much about, and that's um, the, about the opioid crisis. Um, deaths went up actually last year by 4%, and they seem to have gone up even more this year during the pandemic. How would you like to see President Trump do things differently next year if he got a uh, second term? Yes, well, those numbers after we had the first decline in 30 years are harrowing, but they're unsurprising, Francis, because we're now fully into a poly drug crisis in this country. Um, Brett Ward, who's otherwise known as the testings are now, but the Assistant Secretary for Health and others, we fully know that we are we're into the fourth wave of this drug crisis through meth. The meth use has really increased, so opioid use down, but the meth use up. And I think what the president has done suggests that his bold leadership means that so many lives were saved. And I said last night that the political inertia and the looking the other way um, that costs lives is slowly melting away. I'm really happy. I think the most significant bipartisan legislation that president passed short of the CARES Act, which was a special piece of legislation, was the Support Act. And that was signed into law almost two years ago. Do you know every single Democrat in the Senate and the House who voted, voted in favor of the Support Act? That included... Um, Kamala Harris, include Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, right. Cory Booker. Yeah. And what's so significant about that is it's, it's a historic investment of billions in treatment and recovery and prevention education. So I think we have to keep going that way in reducing these first prescriptions to a smaller dose, a smaller amount, and making sure people yeah, yeah. know what take back days and making sure they've got money for recovery. But moving forward, I think we also have to recognize that in this pandemic, we can't pre create a pandemic within a pandemic. We see suicides are up, abuses of all kinds are up, including drug abuse. 
isolation, economic desolation, people are, are, are hurting and many are yeah, taking yeah. extreme action. So the president has to stick with this. And I think what you'll see in the second term is the president holding these foreign countries even more to account. Kelly, Kelly I'm for to ask you as well about, yes. you, you have the president's ear in the way that many people don't. Is he pleased with the convention activities? Has he confided in with you? About He's how highly it's pleased. I took uh, probably my first, uh, my last ride for now on Marine One with the president and the first lady last night. We went to Fort McHenry together to watch the vice president deliver his remarks. And uh, we talked a great deal. Well, we talked about many things. We talked about the convention particularly. We always wanted this to be the People's Convention. I'm one of a small team that has had um, some visibility into and authority over the State of the Union guests for the last four years. Francis, no guest has ever leaked. And uh, people, even the hardest naysayers and critics have said, wow, those have been successful events because the president has been able to illustrate his agenda, his vision, his promises through the American people, through these stories. So it was very similar to the State of the Union, but these time the people aren't just sitting in the box of the First Lady, they're speaking and they're talking about how their lives are measurably impacted because of the Trump-Pence administration. So he likes it for Let that reason. He also you. likes the production oh, yeah. value. He Let knows that you know, the Democrats claim Hollywood and the actors and all the entertainers, but the production value has been incredible. To see the First Lady, Melania Trump, deliver almost a 30-minute speech in the Rose Garden was pretty historic. And the president tonight on the South Lawn of the White House doing the same. It's been truly remarkable. He's very pleased. One of the, um, the striking events during this was the swearing in of five new citizens, all of them people of color. Um, this happened at a time when the president has also reduced legal immigration by something like 49%, according to some statistics. Did that seem a little hypocritical? I'm really happy that the president could show America a naturalization ceremony. Most Americans probably have never witnessed one or seen one or even heard about one, I would think. So that's wonderful for, for that to have a light shine on it during a convention week, Francis, where I think there are people who otherwise don't tune in to political rallies or political coverage or the nightly shows. They're watching these conventions very carefully because they want to make their choice. So I'm very pleased that they can see that just from a cultural um, perspective. But I do, I, I do want to say when it comes to immigration, it was really remarkable for me this past February to watch Joe Biden really try to put a lot of daylight and distance between him and the boss he served, uh, President Obama, who at the time was putting a fair amount of distance and daylight between him and his vice president, Joe Biden. But he did that on the issue of immigration because Joe Biden showed up at a, at a rally, uh, excuse me, at a debate and people were mocking him. You were deporter in chief. You guys had record number of deportations. People forget that. This is a president who has created an economy, will continue to create and rebuild this economy. We have tremendous job creation now. And he wants that to be available to people all over the country. But we are the most generous country to immigrants in the world. Over 33 million have come here legally, and we want to continue to encourage that. Um, at the same time, we know that many Americans are struggling to find work. There are jobs and businesses that Americans held that will never come back. That type of industry, that particular restaurant, and the like, and we're very sensitive to that as well. But this president will continue to fight for final and fair border security and merit-based immigration. He's made that very clear Ke and will again tonight. Kellyanne, a number of the incidents you've referred to, the events of the uh, of the convention, including the swearing in, uh, the Rose Garden speech, the speech tonight, and the speech at Fort Henry, have been criticized as potential violations of the Hatch Act. Now, I know you're leaving the White House, but does that concern staff members now? Oh, that means that they're having probably having a, a, a very 
uh, excellent, magnificent, and well-received convention. So as I understand, legal authorities have looked at this many times and gave the green light to having the convention at those three sites that you just mentioned. Um, uh, this is the president, and this is the first lady. They live there. Uh, this is their home. And I'm sure that people don't like the fact that the, pre that the president is able to give his speech at the White House so that you see he's actually already the president. And it t signals to many people, too, why in the world would you invite more disruption and uncertainty into a system that has so much already? So let's stick with what we, what we know, what we're doing with the president who's presiding over historic uh, speed for these vaccines and efficacy for these and safety for these vaccines. So I, I also just want to say that um, I, I read a couple of articles in the last couple of days, Francis, that made very clear at the Obama-Biden convention in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I was in 2012, there were about five Obama cabinet secretaries there. And uh, that's pretty curious because I went back and looked at the Chirons too, and the videos, uh, as is, for example, SBA administrator was speaking, Administrator Mills, I believe her last name was, and it said SBA administrator, didn't say private citizen, Ms. Mills. So um, people get amnesia very quickly. They forget recent history. But uh, for the first lady to help redesign the People's House and the Rose Garden, biggest refurb in probably 50 years or more, I think, uh, and then to give her a speech there. I think America saw that for that for what it was. A first lady, unlike the two past first ladies the week before at the Democratic convention, attack, attack, attack. This is a first lady who toward the end of her 28 minute speech said, as you can see, I didn't spend my precious time tonight attacking others, the other side. I spent it trying to unify us and try to talk about what I would do as first lady in the second term and what I've done in the first term. So people so, will see that. But I think the Hatch Act is the best thing they can come up with that it's probably a spectacular convention. Kellyanne, help me understand a controversy that has erupted today. Um, this is about the Kenosha protests and Joe Biden, Vice President Joe Biden, said that, and I'm going to read a little bit here, that the controversy, he accused President Trump of rooting for more violence and said it was his, to his political benefit and that he was pouring gasoline on the fire in those protests in Kenosha. It's really unfortunate. Then he referred, I'm going to just read a little bit more. Then he referred to a statement that you made, and let me read that to you. This was on Fox News. You have to the read the whole statement. Chaos. You can't read what he wrote. Okay, well, we can go. Statement. I published it on Twitter. People need to do that. And listen, and I'll make sure, and then you can come back and tell me if there's anything. The more chaos and anarchy and vandalism and violence reigns, the better it is for the very clear choice on who's best on public safety and law and order. So what did you mean by that? And tell me if, if you think that's incomplete. What's the context for it? No, no, it's not just incomplete. It's dangerous that reporters live on Twitter. And instead of getting the story, they try to get the president every single time. That was a deceptively editing clip. To, the question was about Pete Buttigieg, media darling and failed presidential candidate, Pete Buttigieg. I was asked a question because he said that the violence in Kenosha and elsewhere is happening on President Trump's watch is his responsibility. No, thank you. This has been happening. This has been happening again and again on uh, in democratically led, uh, democratically led cities and, and and towns, as you know. And in this case, I was asked, sorry about that, let me turn this off. And I was asked about what Mayor Pete said, and you're going to have to go back to Twitter and see what I put because uh, it was so deceptive. Oops, sorry about that. Am I there? You are with us, yes. We okay. can hear you loudly, okay, so carry on. Too many things are going on here. Hold on. Go ahead, I know, okay. too many things to do. There we, uh, I don't know, now I see myself in too many places. Do you have me, Francis? Yep, I can hear okay. you, and I think our okay. audience can hear you loud and clear, so go ahead. So, uh, yes, anyway, they asked me about Mayor Pete, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull up the full quote. What I said was, Donald Trump, President Trump does not look at the violence 
and the and the protesters as a partisan issue. And then I said, here it goes. And then I said, uh, here it is. And it's very it's very sad that responsible journalists deceptively edited this, but I called them out on it. So here are my exact quotes. Because the Republican President Donald Trump doesn't look at this, the protesters, as a partisan issue, he's trying to send federal reinforcements in, and you have governors saying, oh, no, you're put, they're putting their pride in politics ahead of safety, and that makes no sense to everyday Americans who want law and order and public safety. We saw a Gallup poll that said 86% of Americans want the same or increased police presence in their neighborhoods. That was over 80% of African Americans and Hispanic Americans in that Gallup poll. It would be great, nice, if Joe Biden weighed in long after the violence, not just in urban America, but suburban America, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Nice that he weighed in. Maybe he should go there and see on the ground. I said, so he and Mayor Pete can see what is happening. It's not Donald Trump's watch. He's trying to get law and order restored. But I don't think Joe Biden will go to Wisconsin because the last time a Democratic nominee went there was 2012. Then I said, I also noticed there was a quote today from a restaurateur in Wisconsin saying, are you protesters trying to get Donald Trump reelected? He, meaning the restaurateur, knows full stop, and I guess Mayor Pete knows full stop, that the more chaos and anarchy and violence reign, the better it is for who is the clear choice in public safety and, safety and law and order. So that's the full, actually, it's even more full than that. But um, clipping that and saying that we were trying to incite violence is not just irresponsible, it's not journalism, but it really comes from crazy and lazy people. And I'll be in the private sector soon, so that should be fun. Anyhow, uh, <clears throat> And for Joe Thank Biden to say that, it was nice to see him again, Francis, but we basically saw him from, uh, he was reading from his lap, which I think is very unfortunate. Uh, he was reading what somebody else wrote on his lap. And every reporter who put the clip out there of what I said and deceptively edited it and lied about it uh, should be held to account. We're really tired of that because they incite violence and threats of their own uh, by doing that. The fact is that we want the vandalism, the violence, the looting to stop. But you know what? We're not alone. Listen to the mother of Jacob. Listen to Jacob's mother. She said it uh, yesterday, the day before. Listen to the, the family of George Floyd. Listen to Rayshard Brooks' family in Atlanta. They all said the same thing. Please protest peacefully. Do not be violent. And Jacob's mother went a step farther. She just said, don't use my son or as somebody's son or daughter to say that this is why you're doing it. So I guess I would ask the media why they're disrespectful of that. Um, Joe Biden failed to even mention, mention the violence and vandalism that is rocking so many of our beautiful cities in this country. Failed to even so mention it what's happening in Kenosha and, federal, and, and President Trump has said he's sending in federal troops. That doesn't seem like a great long-term strategy for quelling violence. What is his plan for de-escalating violence in cities like that? His plan, his plan is not to defund the police the way someone like Bill de Blasio did. And now you've got police officers, Francis, so taking early retirement and not showing up to work. Defunding the police is a very dangerous prospect, even diverting resources, quote unquote, is a fancy Washington way of, of getting- And what's plan for de-escalating violence? Pardon? And what is President Trump's plan for de-escalating the violence? Well, he's offered to help. These are state and local matters. He's offered to send the federal troops to help. And the same governors who couldn't get enough of the ventilators and the PPE, we were happy to surge all those supplies. They wanted to uh, send this and that. Of course, we did it right away. We want to help Americans through the pandemic are saying, no way. I got to put my pride in my politics before public safety. Why are they saying no to extra help to try to quell this violence and this vandalism? But if you look, you've got 
You've got mayors all across this country saying, oh, no, we're just having a little garden party. Oh, no. And then they won't let the protesters on the street where they live. And then they're saying, wait, we need yes. the police to come back in. Yes. That didn't work out. So Kelly, we know is President Trump planning to make a statement on the shooting of Jacob Blake? Possibly. He certainly will, he certainly will be addressing this issue uh, very broadly and what's been happening recently. And I'll just tell you this, Francis, the vice president did that last night. I was there and I saw the crowd spontaneously erupt in standing ovations and applause a few times. But certainly when he was talking about the thin blue line that will always stand with law enforcement. Look, this is an administration that has more generously resourced and more deeply respected those who are keeping us safe, whether they're law enforcement, military, veterans. Uh, that was not done in the Obama Biden administration. And everybody knows that. So what are your thoughts about the 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse who took matters into his own hands, allegedly, uh, by shooting two people at the protests? So I don't know all the facts. And what I know is that there are two things I do know is that he's been charged with murder, arrested and charged with murder. And number two, that our Department of Justice has already launched a civil rights investigation into the shooting of Jacob Blake. And so that, I think, is very important for everyone to know. In no way will I ever get in front of an investigation one way or the other. It's inappropriate for me to comment on that. So that's that's what I'll say here. So looking ahead, um, do you have an October surprise that you can give us a hint about? Me? Personally? Or you mean for, <laughs> for the campaign? No, I mean for the campaign. Oh, uh, well, I, uh, <laughs> I think there, there will be several. And there will be several that people will attempt against uh, President Trump but they'll probably just say the same things they always say. Uh, it seems like one speed, one gear, one volume these days, uh, one note for sure. I don't know if Biden or Harris will ever take another question from the press. I can't believe you and the press don't care about that. It's an affront to democracy. So maybe the October surprise is Kamala Harris or Joe Biden taking a question from the press. And not just the softballs, like a really tough question from the press that even staffers in our White House take, let alone the principals who are on the ballot. Uh, but Francis, I, I believe that we will continue to focus on this global pandemic. It's a dual medical and financial crisis, the uh, unrest that we see around the country, but also this president rebuilding the economy is going to continue to tout what has been a tax cut and jobs act that has led to millions of Americans receiving bonuses, raises, childcare tax credit, job security. We want to help the job creators, job holders, and job seekers all at the same time, I think the president will continue to deal with his counterparts around the globe. And um, and then also, uh, this president is going to show, including tonight, let alone October, the choice, the real contrast that we have. I think there's a tremendous clear-cut choice uh, between okay. the vision for America of these two, these two candidates. Uh, Joe Biden is trying to fit into a party that left him many, many years ago, probably a dozen years ago, uh, oh, yeah. his own party, his own party didn't want him. He had 22 other Democrats trying to stop him from being the nominee. So that's kind of troublesome. And the president's going to, he's going to continue to say he's going to take tough action against countries that are hurting America. And that includes China. Kellyanne, you worked very closely with Michael Cohen for a long time. He has a book coming out titled Disloyal. He went from a true loyalist to uh, somebody who's a great critic of the president. Do you or the president have any concerns about what might be in that book? I haven't discussed that book at all with President Trump, not whatsoever. So you have no concerns. And how about Bob Woodward's upcoming book, Rage? The president gave several interviews uh, to... Did you sit in on any of those? Bob Woodward. I sat in one, uh, one that I recall. Uh, I sat in 17 one of those that I recall. 
I think uh, giving the giving the giving presidential access to an author is good, and I hope that Mr. Woodward will quote the president directly. And uh, but I think you know, look, books are you get more of an advance, you get you know higher return. We've seen that very recently. If you can zing people in power, uh, no author or no one book notwithstanding, you know these books are never fact checked. They're fact checked after the fact and people run as they do on Twitter, same thing. They are their own fact checkers, their own editors. They run with whatever is salacious. And I saw recently with the John Bolton book, I thought it was very amusing that most of Washington who never liked John Bolton, uh, didn't care much for him, didn't respect him much when I did and worked with him, uh, all ran to repeat exactly what he was saying in his book. So uh, people should, you know, should recognize that that, it, that works both ways. That works all different ways. Uh, but I, what I think we're major, what I think is most important is that the president's voice and choices are explained, are expressed and explained in his speech tonight to the to the country and the world at his own convention, and then also in those debates. Very, very concerning today. I don't know if I wake up in in the old Soviet Union or the great United States of America when I see the powerful, highest ranking woman in American politics uh, say there's no reason to have for Joe Biden to debate Donald Trump. What an affront to democracy. Well, what an insult to the voters. Why not just call them deplorable and irredeemable? And yeah, yeah, a final question. We're, we're running out of time, but a final question we, for you. Democracy demands I know debates. you're going to be leaving the White House, but do you have a book you're planning to write? Yes, I absolutely will write a book in the future and, and a sequel. And tell me what it's, what it's going to be about. Of course I can't do that. Uh, but I'm also not focused on that right now. I'm wrapping up my work at the White House and I, you know, don't have, I, I don't have any announcement right now. And it's nothing that I've been so focused on that it's detracting me from my work. But I've got a good book or two inside of me and uh, they'll be very different from the ones that are out there. Well, we're looking forward to hearing more about them. And I want to thank you very much for joining us this afternoon on what I know right. is a very busy time. Books are algebra books and world history books and religion books with the kids. So I'm, I'm so, going to invest in leisure wear, Francis, and hover over my kids as they hover over their computers. <laughs> so thank right. you. Right. So you're going to be, it's all going to be from home. You're not getting them back into school. Not, not at the moment. They're not doing that anytime soon. And, uh, and that's, that is the new normal. And I've always been there for them and this time I'm going to be there with them because during the spring and the pandemic, I was at the White House practically every day doing what I could as all parents and particularly moms across the country are trying to do their best too. But we're going to do an even better job this time um, all together. So it'd be great. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Francis. Take care. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.